Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Because what I found out when I got in trouble, all, most of the people that were talking shit or saying stuff, they are smoking too. People were just chicken shit. And so it, now people are being more honest and, and we're seeing it. And so the, I think that's the major change. This is Stacking the Box with NFL insider Matt Berteram and Mark Carmen. Week one in the books. We are here to discuss all of it. It is Stacking the Box along with my buddy Matt Berteram. we got a lot coming up on the show today, Berteram, and we're going to kick it off in a second here. But holy smokes, Green Bay. I don't know if you would have won a college football game in week one there, Green Bay. Not against Alabama or maybe even a couple of other schools. Like the Packers go down. The Texans show up. Uh, There's a lot of things going on in week one that I don't think any of us saw coming. Yeah, stack in the box with a big-time guest this week, too. Ricky Williams, our conversation with Ricky, which was just awesome, right? That was a ton of fun. Phenomenal. Yeah, if, if for nothing else outside of these amazing takes and our place your bet segment uh, with Ben Heisler from Betside and working with WinBet, uh, that's coming up as well. But uh, Ricky, one of the more interesting guys in the history of the league. I don't think that's too tall to say it just like that. No, no question. And if, if for nothing else, you'll, you'll want to hear stories about Bill Parcells, a, a great story about what led Ricky to retire and also a really funny story about something that Bill Parcells did to motivate Ricky when he was in Miami. Gas can and all. All right. Stack in the box with our NFL insider, Matt Verderam and yours truly Mark Carmen starts right now. So Verderam, I got out myself Monday night. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm watching Raiders. I'm watching Ravens. It's the fourth quarter. Poppy, the dog's hanging out and uh, yeah, Baltimore won and Carm's falling asleep. And then I wake up in the morning and I missed the craziest because old man Carm just missed the craziest ending that you could ever have on a Monday night opener. Somehow, some way, the, Ra- the Raiders beat the Ravens 33-27. Derek Carr getting huge benefits from uh, some, uh, you know, whatever. We, all of a sudden, we got a penalty, and now he's throwing touchdown passes. But uh, that was a wild night for Las Vegas. The Raiders with fans and the whole thing. Look at them. That was one of the weirdest endings to a game I can remember seeing. It really was. Because – First three and a half quarters were kind of whatever, right? I mean, Carr didn't play well in the first half. The Ravens were kind of what the Ravens are, a lot of running the ball, pass here, throw there. And then all of a sudden, the game went nuts. I mean, I was watching it with my, my buddy in my house, in my office, and all of it. I mean, we're, we're sitting there talking about how much this game is really kind of, eh, whatever. Boom. 
touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then the Ravens kick a field goal with like 35 seconds left. You're thinking, okay, this game's toast. The Raiders have no timeouts. They're up, you know, down three points. Raiders get the ball, go down, somehow tie the game. We have Daniel Carlson, a lot of credit. It was like 53, 54-yard field goal at the gun. Nails it. And then and then you think like, okay, well, that's got to be the craziest part of the game. Nope. Raiders hit a pass that they think is a touchdown in overtime. Everybody celebrates. Nope. He's down at the one. Quarterback sneak doesn't get in. Then there's a false start. Then there's an incompletion. And then, oh, my God, there's an interception in the end zone. As it ricochets off somebody's helmet. But then the Ravens get the ball and fumble it, and the Raiders score on an all-out blitz to throw it over the top. Zay Jones, 33-27, and the Raiders are 1-0. One of the more bizarre games I can ever remember. Really was. But it was fascinating, and it was a hell of a way to get the season rolling. Do we have a takeaway that Las Vegas and is good and or Baltimore is bad? I don't have a takeaway on the Raiders in the sense, look, I thought their defense, even though they gave 27 points, was actually pretty impressive. Max Crosby was great. Yannick Ngakwe played well. The reason I don't have a takeaway on the Raiders is because I don't know what to make of the defense when you're playing a, a, a Ravens offense that really is just so unto itself, right? Like they, they don't throw the ball like most teams do. They're not going to challenge you in that way. And I don't know that we're going to get a great read on the Raiders this week either when they play Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh also won't throw the ball more than five yards down the field. So I don't know what the takeaway – look, I, I think the Raiders still are a non-playoff team. I just – I don't, I don't believe in the personnel defensively outside of Crosby and Ngakwe. And offensively, while I've always actually liked Carr, and Waller's fantastic, I got to see it from their receivers week. Like, Brian Edwards had, did nothing, and then like 100 yards in a minute. Like, I don't, like which guy is the, is the actual Brian Edwards? I will say with the Ravens, oh, I have concern. Their offensive line was terrible in that game. Terrible in pass pro. Their defense... It's just – and, look, they've done this for years, but without Marcus Peters, this all-or-nothing approach I think is going to get them beat quite a bit. Like, you can't blitz everybody and put everyone on the line of scrimmage and just get away with it all the time. Like, if you play teams that can throw the ball at all, you're going to have a problem. And I think they're going to have a problem on Sunday. We're going to get into that more with Ben Heisler when he joins us, the managing editor over at Betside, who, of course, joined our team. I think it's a huge issue for Baltimore facing anybody who can throw the football. So uh, that, that's kind of where I fall coming out of that game. Yeah, I, I just thought it was a bad loss for Baltimore. You were in control of the vast majority you of the win game. That game. You, you, you had the lead late. You, you had every opportunity even to do it in overtime, even after you blew I Just a bad loss. Um, so I, we'll see. By they, the way, they, yeah. uh, just to put a cap on it, a rough spot for Baltimore now. Like you are on, You're all the way – out West, you play Monday night football, you play an extra quarter. You're probably not getting back to you know, pretty late Tuesday morning, maybe, you know, eight, seven, eight AM Eastern, right? Like you, you're probably going to sleep most of the day Tuesday. And now like, you've got to get ready for Kansas city who you never beat. And you're in a short week and Kansas city's got it. You know, a hop, skip and a jump, couple hour flight over there on Saturday, but can rest. They were at home this past week. Should get healthier with Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark come back. That is, if you're Baltimore, that's even more the reason you had to beat the Raiders. I, I, I got to be honest, the whole NFL travel thing, I still don't get it. You, 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 it's it's Monday. You don't play until Sunday. They're not playing even Thursday night. 
the NBA, they're or NHL. They're going back to back. They're flying all over the place. I understand they're not changing time zones, but I mean this, this and I get it. Oh my God. They got to travel all the way from the West coast to the East coast. How are they going to play so early in your body clock and all that type of stuff? But I, I still can, I think it's more about the preparation. Like they, they lose Monday because they got to go to play the game. Right. Then they right. lose a lot of Tuesday because they're flying back. I mean, somebody got to sleep. I get but, it. You fly you sleep on the plane to some extent, but I mean, still, um, and you, you just but, beat up. And that was a long game, man. You play an extra quarter, physical, the whole deal. And that is, you know, the, I, think, it, I just think it's a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't overcome it, but I feel like it's a lot. Well, right. I mean, the bigger problem, of course, is going to be who they're playing. And and sure, car crash every week. You're playing Monday night versus Sunday. Let's call it a noon Sunday game. You're you're already into your recovery by Sunday night. Now you're really not into your recovery, I guess, until you get off the plane. Um so it, and you're tired to, on, on Tuesday, I'm sure, but whatever. All right. Uh, I, it's uh, going to be a challenge, for, t- 10 times challenge for Baltimore this week to take it on Kansas City. Stop. But let, let's go. Let's take biggest impact from week one. Worst loss, biggest win. I'm more focused on the losses right now because you, you look at teams like the Bills at home. That was, I'd say, pretty alarming. Uh, the Titans at home, and conversely for the Cardinals, that's a big time win. And then, I, I, you know, New England even losing at home to the Dolphins. I get it; you got a rookie quarterback, but that was um, I would call that pretty disappointing division game at all. And then, of course, at the top of the list, that's the stunner of that. Okay, fine, Green Bay losing that's one thing, but thirty-eight to three, uh, one of the worst losses in Aaron Rodgers' yeah. history. That was that was enormous too. Yeah. So okay. So so what do you what goes to the top of your list on the worst loss? I mean, look, the most embarrassing is Green Bay, but I think in terms of impact, it's New England. That's a home divisional game that you had on your racket. I mean, you're down a point late, you fumble inside the ten yard line. That can't happen. It just can't happen. I mean, they, they don't have a margin for error like I think the Packers do. The Packers are going to win that division because everybody else stinks. Okay. So even though the Packers lost, everybody's freaking out. It's embarrassing. I think in the end, like, they're still going to win that division. They're still going to be a top three seed in the, in, the, in the conference, right? Now, maybe it costs them down the line in terms of seeding. But for the, for the Pats, that might be a game that determines whether or not they make the playoffs. But I, I will go this way. In terms of what I think it means for them overall, that Titans game is a train wreck. Like, I went back and watched that game yesterday, and they can't block anybody. I mean, Cardinals, Chandler Jones had five sacks. Two forced fumbles, but he wasn't the only one getting through. I mean, they were getting pressure constantly, couldn't run particularly well. I forget who tweeted this out, um, and, and it matched up sitting there watching the game. The Titans ran two play-action passes that whole game. I'm sorry. You have Derrick Henry. Like, I, I, maybe play-action, not the worst, especially Tannehill, who lives for that stuff. But like, you have to do play-action with him. So that worries me. Todd Downing's in there as a new OC with Arthur Smith being out. And then the biggest thing – defensively they got yoked in that game and this is a team that rebuilt its whole defense i don't expect them to come out smoking week one arizona's got some weapons they got killed like that that is a deep concern to me now they go to seattle where i don't think seattle is going to be uh struggling to score points okay so i think of all the games i think the most impactful is new england's loss for as, as far as a contender goes but I think I think the loss that makes you just go, ooh, I, I don't know about them going forward is Tennessee. So rewinding back to Green Bay, and I think they're fine regardless. But 
because of that division. However, Minnesota got straight screwed in Cincinnati. Dalvin Cook did not fumble. He's his ass is on the ground. The ball's still on him. And because the NFL still can't figure out instant replay, they end up giving the ball to the Bengals because that's how it was ruled on the field. Cincinnati gets a win they really didn't deserve. Uh, although, I mean, the Bengals were, you know, at least at, at one point, it looked like they were in the control, but then they Cincinnati, they bangled up and, and somehow some way that that game went to went back to them. I, I just thought that was, I don't know. That was my most angry moment on Sunday. Like you just straight screw the Vikings. The officials took that game from them. Did you agree with that? Am I, am I, you're, you well, look a little, you look a little bit not with me here, Verderam. I think you're right in, in terms of the call being incorrect. But I'm a big believer, and I know this is probably going to piss off like any Vikings fans who are listening to this. Look, you lost that game because you played like crap the entire game. Like I, I don't, I don't want to hear. Like, look, I get it. Yeah, you got jobs, and you know what? That directly cost you. You know, what out a field goal attempt. I get it. Probably make the kick. Fine. Don't get down 21-7 to the Bengals. Like, you know, Minnesota, I feel like every year it's the same crap with this team year in and year out. They've got all the talent they could possibly ask for. I mean, how many teams have offensive weapons like Minnesota? Cook, Thielen, Jefferson. How many teams have a better trio than that, right? Defensively, they've got all pro guys at every level of their defense. Danielle Hunter, Harrison Smith, Eric Kendricks, Anthony, doesn't matter. Can't win a game. Can't do anything. And, and everybody always loves to go, well, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is a better-than-average quarterback. Man, but he's, not, he's not good, like, in terms of he's not Mahomes. He's not Brady. He's Derek Carr. Like, you can win games. Like, this idea that you just can't win games. Like, Kirk Cousins has won a playoff game. He's won many games in his career. I, I, I think, look, if Minnesota can't make the playoffs with this group, I really think it's time to just tear the whole thing down. Like, let Cousins go. Fire Zimmer, fire Spielman. And I don't say it like, I think Spielman's actually done a pretty good job. I think Zimmer's a good coach, but it's just not working. I think it just might be time to just blow this whole thing up. And by the way, let me say real quick before I forget, um, appreciate the new uh, uh, reviews on, uh, on the podcast. Got a few here this past week. We asked for your predictions and said we'd read them if, if we got them. And we got two of them, uh, Josh, the man, yes, the man, who says Packers win it all and Rodgers' career in Green Bay ends on top. They beat the Browns in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are the best team in the league on paper, but I'm just betting against them or anyone making three straight Super Bowls. The Bucks will lose in Tampa in the NFC title game to the Packers. And then we also had Dark Phoenix 245 who says, always love listening to you guys right when a new podcast comes out. Once a week is never enough. Thank you. That's very generous. Matt cracks from a fairy time. He's never afraid to say how it is. Just similar to myself, which I love. Five-star rating as always. Super Bowl prediction. Bucks, Chiefs again. Crazy how many are predicting that, but it's possible. Bills, Packers, Chiefs, Packers, Bills, Bills or Browns. Uh, will, will probably be any combo of the top teams in the league as expected. Sounds like uh, Emma here is going with a repeat. Uh, Allen or Mahomes for the MVP and offensive rookie of the year, Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones. So thank you very much for the five-star reviews. And if you want to send us your picks, well, give us your best pick for this week. Give us your best pick, your week two lock. Okay. And then we'll go back and we'll look at it. We, and we'll, and we'll either say, Hey, great job. We'll make fun of you. Just like we make fun of ourselves. Leave a five-star rating, a comment or review. Give us your pick of the week. It can be straight up or against the spread. 
Who you got? In fact, you know what? It's against the spread. Who do you have? Let's have some fun with it. But thank you for the reviews. You guys are awesome. Can't thank you enough. We love you. We love you. We love you. Uh, and I'm wondering if you're punting on that Packer pick after seeing 38 to three, because I'm very close to punting on the Packers. Oh, it's I, one game. Come on, man. Stop. No. Okay. Okay. Fine. Let's have some perspective. You're probably not wrong. Uh, speaking of perspective, Bertram, Eagles smoked the Falcons 32 to six. Jalen Hurts with three touchdown passes. Uh, 27 to 35, 264, not a huge number, but very efficient. Yep. But it was against Atlanta. So you buying Philly? I'm intrigued by Philly. Um, look, I like Hertz and I have, and I've always liked Hertz. I, I can honestly say, I, I remember covering a little bit of him at the combine when he was coming out and talking to some people around the league. And a lot of the same comment that you heard was, Hey, you know what? This kid, he's got a big time football IQ. He played under Saban at Alabama. He played under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. You know, he's overcome some adversity when he got when he got benched in, in Alabama. Like this is a you know for Tua. This is a kid who a lot of people really liked. And I, I think you know, you saw flashes last year of him being talented. I'll be the first to admit I sold on the Eagles, mostly because I just, you know, first year head coach, kind of a rebuilding phase right now. And that might still very well be the case, by the way. Atlanta's awful. Like there are very few things I take out of week one that I firmly believe. Here's what I firmly believe out of week one. The Browns are really good. The Steelers are the exact same team they were a year ago. Atlanta sucks. And Urban Meyer's not making it to an 18th game coach in Jacksonville. Those are my, my takeaways that I firmly believe. I think Philly's interesting, but this is a real interesting game now coming up against the Niners. The Niners are a very good team, Super Bowl contender. If the Eagles hang in this game, even if they lose, but they hang in it, I'm in tr- I, I think all of a sudden you might have a team here. You might have a team. But Sirianni, nice job. And they plowed Atlanta. NFC East, uh, uh, NFC North, better division. Go. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, man, that's actually a really interesting one. I, I got I to say it's the North still. But just because of the Packers and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, sucks. that's why, man. Because the Packers, I think, are the only team out of that eight you know, eight team group that's any real like a real contender potentially. I and I just the Let's Giants look. looked awful. Fitzpatrick's hurt in Washington. And I don't know what the hell to make of Dallas, man. Like I can see Dallas going six and eleven. I, I don't know. Like Dak looked great, but they can't stop anybody. I don't believe in McCarthy. So that, that division's still not good. I'm a little bit of a buyer on Dallas right now. Maybe I'm nuts, but I, I think I don't know you're, that you're nuts. I, I don't know either, man. It's, they're a weird team. If, if, I, if I was going to rank order those two divisions right now, I guess I would still put Green Bay up top. But then I, you, whoever number two is, is a, you can make an argument literally for anyone. Like, I could say the Cowboys, and I could fight you on it. Like, who else are you going to buy in? No, you I mean, could, man. I mean, you could – listen, you could go Dallas. You could maybe go Philly. You could go Minnesota, even though I just trashed them. Like, you could go Minnesota. You, you could. You could, not a, go, a, you could not go Chicago. I'll tell you, right, other than the NFC West, the NFC is awful. Tampa's great. Green Bay should be very good. And the rest of that conference is just, I mean, there's nobody. And then the West, of course, is an absolute slugfest. Let's move into into the future, and we'll look at an AFC contender that actually has you most concerned. Tennessee's got to be at the top of that list, right? They are. And since we talked about them, I'll go in another direction here. But for the record, that's my answer, right? Tennessee is absolutely number one on the list. That game with Buffalo – it doesn't set off alarm bells, but it, it raises a red flag. 
if you watch that game, Carm, did, did you watch that game for the record? I, for the record, I did not see any of it. Okay. Rim, so I, I watched it. I watched it live. The Bills had multiple opportunities to basically take Pittsburgh out. They they missed. Allen in the first half had a deep throw to Emmanuel Sanders and a deep throw to Stephon Diggs. Both guys, both cases, wide, and I mean wide open. Would have been walking touchdowns. You're overthrowing pretty badly on both both occasions. They get they're still though at the half it's ten nothing, and Buffalo just can't do anything in the game. And I I think look two things I took away from it that concerned me a little for the Bills. Allen, who I by I I am famously I was a critic of coming out of college, and for two years he was not good. Last year he was great, and I'm a full buyer. I, I I'm a believer in him. That said, do you wonder a little bit, like? Okay, was last year was last year his reality, or is it a little bit more of like between his first two years and last year? We're gonna find because because Sunday it looked like his first two years. Now, I tend to believe he'll be fine, but it's just a little concern. The other thing that's concerning to me that I think is a real concern, if you remember at the end of last year, the Bills basically just stopped running the football completely. They they I mean almost to a, a historic point. They have to run the ball a little bit. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm always, you know, oh, you got to pound the ball, pound the ball. I'm not saying that. But it becomes easy to defend you when you don't even have to worry about you running the ball. When it's just, hey, they're never going to call a run play. I think that's a little bit of a concern. Now they go to Miami. This is a big game for Buffalo. Like, if you want to be a one seed in the AFC with all these other good teams, you want to win that. You, you got to win these games. You got to win these games against teams you're better than. They should have beat Pittsburgh and they should beat Miami. I got to go back and watch Bill Steelers, but you know, I had it, I was flipping back and forth Vikings, Bengals, Steelers, Bills. Then I had the red zone on. So it was right. just, it was like, I, like everybody else was doing, but I ended up watching more of the Vikings because I was more curious about the North, but every, but I got to tell you from what I did see, it's like, where is the explosive Buffalo offense here? And okay, fine. And I've been a big believer in the Steelers and their ability to hang around and be competitive and all that type of stuff. But that is not how you stamp yourself as somebody who's going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Clearly, I mean, to lo- I, I, I was I was stunned that the Bills lost at home. Uh, close game, fine. And also 16 points, really? I, I thought, I mean, the Tennessee thing feels like more of an anomaly. The Bills thing, and maybe they both are. I don't know. But the, the Bills score was like, I just was completely floored. I, Arizona, like having a, a, a great day offensively where everything hits. I mean, they have the talent to do that. Um, and sure. and Tennessee also has the talent to have like, or the the wonkiness of, the, yeah. Yeah, of their of their offense that you can have an off day even though they they have a lot of consistent pieces there but if you know you get behind that's not what they're built to do so i i get it uh but all right let's move on chiefs browns great game and of course the chiefs come roaring back it was uh you know you're down nine you win by four a couple of insane patrick Mahomes moments as per always what do you, what do you, what's your biggest takeaway moving forward from that one I'll give you one for each team. I think for Cleveland, I actually would walk out of there. I'd be frustrated, but I'd actually feel pretty good. Yeah. You were sure. negative three in the turnover battle and lost by four points. Didn't have Beckham. Wills got hurt early in the game. Now, yes, the Chiefs were out, Clark and Matthew. So that also, I mean, that matters. Okay, but I think if you're Cleveland, you walk out of there going, man, we, we were right there. Now, I don't know that Cleveland could have played any better than, than they did. 
in the first half of the game, even the first three quarters of the game. Right? I, in fact, for the first three quarters, I think the Browns played about as perfect of a game as they possibly could have. And then the punter drops a perfect snap and gets tackled at the 12-yard line. And then, you know, Mayfield at the end throws that pick, although he was kind of forced. I mean, look, the Chiefs got pressure. He was going down. He threw the ball. Mike, you picked it. But if I'm the Browns, I feel like we're definitely a contender. A hundred percent. I feel way better about the Browns than I do about the Steelers. I don't care what the record says. Because, okay, by the way, Pittsburgh, he, Roethlisberger still can't throw the ball eight yards in the air. I mean, he's so washed, it's incredible. The Chiefs, though, here's the takeaway I have. Defensively, I think they'll be better. Like, they'll get Matthew back. They'll get Clark back. Those are two premium players. They'll be okay. Um, the Chiefs need another receiver on this team because I don't think McCall Hardman and Demarcus Robinson's carrying the load here. If Hill gets hurt for any amount of time or some team takes him out of the game. But on the positive side, here's the problem for the rest of the AFC, okay? So the Browns lose, the Bills lose, the Ravens lose, the Titans lose, the Colts. Like, everybody who's a contender in the conference lost, except for Kansas City. And if you want to throw Pittsburgh in there, fine, so be it. I won't. Um, If you think Kansas City is going to win, let's say, 14 games this year, that means to be the one seed, Cleveland can only lose one more game the rest of the season. Like that's what tiebreakers with the chiefs are so massive. If you have the opportunity to win them, Baltimore's got a shot here on Sunday. Buffalo's a shot week five. If you want to keep throwing Tennessee in there, they got them week seven. If you want to beat out Kansas City, you better beat them heads up because if you're, or, or hope for an injury fest in KC, because other than that, they're going to win a lot of games. And if the Browns had won that game, like, let's say the Browns win that game, and, and then you say, okay, maybe the Chiefs will go 13-4 and four and actually lost that game. The Browns can now lose four games the rest of the year and still beat the Chiefs out. Now they can maybe lose one. Like, it's just a huge swing. If Buffalo goes to KC Week 5 and they lose, and you think the Chiefs are going to win 14 games, Buffalo's going to run the table. Like, that's the amount of pressure – that these things put on you. And I get it. Look, maybe the Chiefs don't win 14 games. Maybe they have injuries. Maybe they win 11 games. But if they're healthy, they're probably going to win 14 games or thereabout. And it just, it puts you in such a spot right off the bat to catch them, to get a bye. It's just, I think the Browns in that sense have to be sick. They lost an opportunity for the Chiefs. You go, hey, look, nobody got hurt. We won. We got a great tiebreaker. That's You're going to have to go into Kansas City and beat them. That's how it's going to go unless, unless we're going to have some massive injuries along the way and particularly to uh, – Mahomes mania, but um, I it's it's a good size up of of everything that could have been uh, in front of them had they pulled it off. Which it's a it's a it's a it's a exactly what you said. Well, we're right there, and that's fuck. That is a game. Excuse me. That is a game they should not have lost. I will uh, I will ask you real quick. Do you think? Yeah, you know, this this point's been made. I'm not breaking new ground here. But Cleveland last two games they've played both in KC, both one score games. Obviously, the playoff game is a little different because of Henny and everything else. But both in both shots, and Mayfield had a chance to drive them down the field. Couldn't do it. Do you think he's the kind of guy that if they see them again in the playoffs, that he can win them that game? Or do you think it's just that's I, the kryptonite? I've never thought that, which is why ultimately I don't buy the Browns. But okay. I could be wrong. There is that outside chance that for the first time in my life that I'll be wrong on a quarterback – Baker, I I just uh, I still put him middle of the pack, man. You got to and, and even against in the biggest moment against Kansas City, not the best defense, but you know you're you're you, you still 
have to come up big, even even against the Chiefs. You're not you're not going up against uh, who? Who would be the right right now? Toughest defense if you had to score in the fourth quarter down five. Who is Tampa, that? Right? Pittsburgh. Yeah, I was gonna say Pittsburgh, but okay, yeah, probably so, Pittsburgh. So, I just, that is my concern with Cleveland. If there's one thing that I left that game kind of saying, yeah, that's going to be the problem. Is it just everything was fine with Baker until he had to win him the game? Right. Everything was fine. They were running for six yards of carry and on second and four and play action, and he's got protection. The second that she started to get pressure in that game, and it was like, oh no, you're going to have to throw, man. Like you can't run the ball now. Like it, it immediately went to hell in a handbasket. Like that. That is the main concern I have. Let's move on to yep. uh, our 0-1s and who's headed to 0-2. You, it's interesting. I mean, Tennessee and Buffalo are, are at the top here, but uh, I guess we're throwing Indy in the conversation here, although I am absolutely out on the Colts right now. They don't feel like a uh, – I wouldn't call them a good team. I'd, I'd call them at best a mediocre. But you've got them in here, Verderam. So maybe, maybe uh, you're still a slight buyer on Indy? I'm not a buyer. I, I've, I've, I'm with you, Carm. I've been selling them the whole offseason, but I think so, a lot of people are buying. I think Indy and Tennessee are both going on, too. Now, maybe they don't care because the division stinks so bad that it doesn't really matter. Um, I'll tell you, God, man, if you're, the AFC, if you're in the AFC and you're not winning your division, you're begging to be a five seed. You're begging for it. I mean, you really are. <laughs> you know, you avoid Kansas City. You avoid probably, I'm still thinking Buffalo. You avoid whoever comes out of the north, whether it be Cleveland or Pittsburgh or Baltimore. And you, you, I don't care if you're going on the road. If you're drawing one, like you're drawing one of those teams after what we saw week one, I get it. It's, a, it's an overreaction. It's one game. But, man, it's where you want to be. But I think, I think Tennessee or Indy has to be the, the, the pick here. I don't want to keep banging on the Titans, but I think it, it is what it is. But Bills I'll give you another the, one, actually. Go ahead. I, the Ravens. Oh, for sure. The Ravens sure. actually will be my pick since we've been talking a lot about Tennessee. I, I think they're going on with them. Well, I think it's just a brutal spot for them. We got our picks coming up in a second here, but just yep. for people who are, don't have the schedule blazed in their head or listen to the podcast, by the way, thank you for checking out Stack in the Box. Titans are at the Seahawks. Uh, Seattle's a significant favorite at home. Five and a half. Five and a half. And look, you've got, I mean, Buffalo, winnable game, but you got to go to Miami. They are favored, but uh, you not, know, easy. Dolphins, not easy. Dolphins got to win. In, in week one and it, so there's that and then we we just the Ravens are a three and a half point underdog at home to Kansas City and the Colts are at home but they're playing the Rams they're an underdog four point underdog to uh the Rams look great albeit it was against Chicago um who can't play dead but uh, a lot of tough games for 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 every team we just mentioned uh let's go offensively after one week, uh, uh, or maybe not even offensive, but uh, perhaps you'll lean that way as to why you like him. Who do you like more than you thought after uh, one week of football, Verderham? You know, I think I, th- I think the Eagles have got to be in the conversation because I thought the Eagles were going to be terrible. And after watching that game, and I've only seen parts of it, like I'm, I'm still in the process of watching all the games. I've seen about three quarters of them at this point. That's one of the games I've only watched like a half of. Um I like their weapons more than I thought I would. Like Devonta Smith, okay. Like rookie receivers, you never quite know. You know, some guys come on like gangbusters. Some guys kind of it takes them a little while. He, he's played well. Uh, Miles Sanders, they have him. They've got a couple nice tight ends. So I like Philly a little bit more. Um, I think you know I was going to say Denver, but I think Denver basically is what I expected. 
You know, I, I don't think that was like wildly different than what I, although I did pick the Giants in an upset pick, like, like, a, like a complete clown. Um, I deserve that L. I, I, I will ride with that. But I think it's got to be fair. I, you know, I, I will say though, Arizona's also got to be in there because I was the one who was like, you know, Kingsbury might be the first guy fired. Well, they, 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 they look great. I mean, that was a bold prediction, granted, but still, um, they, they went out, they, they, they kicked Tennessee's ass up and down the field. So I think Arizona looked better. I, I thought their defense was a lot better than I thought it would be. I thought their secondary would kill them. Maybe that's the case. If you're getting sacks like crazy, you don't have to cover for that long. So I, I'd say those two teams. I'm just thinking about it. I mean, I, I don't know if my opinion has changed on anything. I was a buyer on Carolina. They won. Darnold looked better. Yep, agreed. wasn't great. Um, I've, I thought Seattle, with everything that happened in their offseason, I thought that they would have a great start to the year. They go in and win in Indy. Russell looks good. Four touchdown passes. I, I mean, and I and I said the Cardinals would make the playoffs. So I can't be surprised by that. But 38 to 13, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, I have been fading the Niners, and, and, and I think I'm just dead wrong. I, I, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'll be proven out over time, too. But I don't have a lot of confidence in that pick. That's where I feel most wobbly. To me, the biggest story from week one is the Bills losing. That is a bad loss. At home, statement game for them and on, on some level. You know, you're, you're coming out here. You're trying to establish yourself as a Super Bowl champion. You'll lose at home to the Steelers. You score 16. Uh, so that's my standout of anything that happened. But on the, on the plus side, I guess I got to go with you on the Eagles, I suppose. I mean, that, that's, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have predicted they would win by 26 on the road. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, all right. Ricky Williams is coming up right now. Veram, good stuff. And then we'll get Ben Heisler on here from Betsided and give our picks for real and uh, a phenomenal ending to the show as, as Veram is, is, is spending his family's fortune that we're going to learn about to uh, make himself happy against his wife's wishes. Small I believe fortune. is the case. Small, small fortune. fortune, small fortune. All right. Ricky Williams, the former saint, the former dolphin, and the former uh, raven coming right on up here on the Stack in the Box. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. One of the more interesting gentlemen that we have gotten to talk to, uh, Ricky Williams, who had an absolutely phenomenal college and NFL career and is having perhaps an even better career off the field. Uh, Ricky, thank you so much for taking time with Fanside and the Stack in the Box podcast. We, we appreciate it. You're, you're working today with the launch of the Campbell Williams Field NFT collection, which I think is just incredibly cool that you, you and Earl are one being honored, uh, which was just an incredibly cool thing last year. And now we've got an NFT collection to sort of underline it even further. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to see your, See your name on that field along with Earl and then something that people can take home and have as a, as, as a, as a piece of memorabilia slash investment that uh, honors you Earl and and Texas and, and, and diversity really. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's really what it is. It's about honoring uh, diversity and really commemorating. I think uh, it's something that that's quite momentous and, and amazing. And it, it didn't really hit me until I was at the game this past Saturday. And uh, as part of the celebration, uh, Texas invited back the the group of the first African American players at the University of Texas. And unfortunately, that didn't occur until the early 1970s. And so as I was up in the box talking to, um, to the 1972 team, uh, I, was, I had a chance to ask the guys a couple of questions. And I asked them, you know, I said, did you guys know what you're getting yourselves into? Uh, and all of them across the board said yes. And that was the main reason they came to Texas is they wanted to be uh, forerunners of the future. They wanted to open doors and they wanted to get an education. Uh, so I was really touched. And, and in that moment, I realized this isn't about Earl and myself. You know, this is really about diversity. And for the University of Texas, who's had a, you know, a checkered reputation when it comes to diversity, um, for them to take this step and, and name the field after Earl and myself, I think is a, is a, is a huge statement. And, and, it, and I think specifically there's something about my story because you know, I don't have a squeaky clean background, you know, uh, and still, you know, there's my name on the stadium. So I, I, it's, it's just, it's just really cool. Well, I want to ask you what you mean by not a squeaky clean background. That seems almost too judgmental uh, for you on yourself there. Cause I mean, no, 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 no. I mean, I think it's judgmental. It's judgmental to expect someone to have a squeaky clean. Um, what, what I mean by that is, is, and we still see it today. Okay. People are afraid to be themselves because they're afraid of the repercussions, the, the consequences that that's, that's more of what I'm speaking to. Yeah. It's, I think so many times people hide parts of themselves. They think won't be accepted by people. And to show that if you if you be yourself, even if being yourself is controversial, in the end, you know, it all works out. You were at Texas in the mid 90s and late 90s, 95 through 98 to be exact, and, and had just four phenomenal seasons. Obviously, your senior season is one of the greatest collegiate years ever. You know, you talk about diversity and in Austin, Texas and everything that comes along with that. So you get there less than 25 years after the 72 team is that historical marker for you, Ricky, like how, how much did you feel that diversity still needed to, to be pushed on, on Texas and pushed on the school and maybe even some of the fan base at that time, but did you still feel that heavily, even though it had been almost 25 years since the school had, had, had taken that big step? Um, and, and if not, you know, were you surprised at that considering, you know, maybe um, some, of, some of the school's history and some of the, the area's history, to be honest? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's our country. More specifically, it's the South. And, you know, I think what's gone on in the, in the past uh, year or so has really brought a lot of uh, old wounds to the surface. And some, often that's a, a very painful experience, but it's also a great opportunity to heal some old wounds. And we can't erase the past of this country, but we can continue to improve. And I think that's going to be a continual process. And I think, you know, it's as weird as it might sound, I think the name, the name, the renaming of this field is, is really a positive step. And, and I'll tell you why, because I think it's the process. And I think the process of how this occurred is a model that can be repeated. You know, it started off with the, the young people, 
you know, the, the current players on the, on the Texas football team uh, asking for change. And uh, a wealthy al alumni heard, heard them asking for change and started to think about what he could do. And, you know, Dar Jamel realized that he had an opportunity to ask the school to change the name of the field. And he did. And so the next step was the, the bureaucracy. And it happened in less than two months that Texas realized, wow, this is a great opportunity. Let's make the change. And so usually th these kinds of changes, you know, if they ever happen, take a long time. But the young people spoke. Right. The wealthy people listened and, and pushed the, the bureaucrats to get something done. And I think that's amazing. I saw that, you know, just uh, doing some research on you, Ricky, that it was emotional for you uh, just seeing the current crop of Texas students uh, stepping up and, and, and being more vocal around, uh, you know, everything that's transpired in the, la in the last year. Can you sort of speak to, like, what was the most tender part of, of, of seeing um, – I guess some thoughts that had obviously been there for a long time, vocalized by the current crop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, especially in, in this milieu, especially in, in college football. So when I was a kid, uh, one of the reasons I, I, I wanted to grow up and become a professional athlete was it because uh, guys like Jim Brown, who were able to use their athletic ability and platform to have a voice. And so I, you know, I was, I was a little freedom fighter uh, and when I got to college, when I got to the NFL and I started to speak up, you know, I was like attacked by the media and everyone told me to shut up and coach told me I was a distraction. And so I was silenced and, and it was, you know, it was, it was a tragedy. It was a trauma. And so to see that, that things have evolved and changed now to where teams, players are speaking up and the coaches are supporting them, you know, it's, it's showing that I'll say it, black lives do matter. And, and it's cool. And hopefully we keep moving in this direction. I mean, we're only a couple of ways from shut up and dribble. And so it's, it's progress. You know, was do you, you almost feel like you, you would have been perfect for this era now. Like if you were coming out of college now, maybe even a couple of years ago, what would social media with the way to get a message out there so quickly? And like you just said, really look, still a long way to go, but, the league now, whether whether almost forced into a corner or otherwise, is, is supporting a lot of these movements. Um, you know, we saw last year names being on the back of helmets, right, of, of people who had been uh, victims of police brutality and whatnot. Um, we, we've seen guys like Patrick Mahomes and, and others, many others in, in these videos in the wake of the George Floyd killing come out and speak out and, and really then be embraced for it. Um, do you feel like you ever do you ever see all that stuff and, and say to yourself, man, I would have been great now like in, in that in time because I'd be able to speak freely without any repercussions from a coach or from the media uh, the way you dealt with 20 years ago? Well, sometimes I do. But then I think if there wasn't people like me, then, you know, maybe they wouldn't be able to do it now. So I think we all we all play a part. And uh, and when I see when I see younger athletes speaking up, I feel like I'm a part of it. It isn't. I don't feel like it's separate from me and, and hopefully it'll keep, it'll keep evolving. You, you, you said that you were silenced. I'm, and I know you had a very good relationship with Mike Ditka, by the way, I'm just curious, like who, who said, Hey, we don't want that. Does any, was it, was it Ditka? I'm just curious, like who was giving you that message back in the day? Well, th there's two ways. One, one of it's unspoken, um, but also coaches will say, 
You know, the media asks you a question, you know, don't tell the truth. It's a distraction. Just tell them what they want to just tell them what they want to hear. Or even the the subtle that it happens in subtle ways. Right. Because if, if the media is not used to an athlete saying a certain thing or, or saying certain things or sounding a certain way, it gets twisted because it's a, we're viewed through this lens of this is how a professional athlete is supposed to be. And I think that's the stereotypes. And I think that's the major thing that that's changing is athletes are being seen as people, you know, that have opinions and voices. Do you think you would, I don't know if it's hard to put yourself in the shoes, but if you had Instagram and whatever, TikTok, Twitter, do you think you would have used that back in the day to get your message out? Um, like if, or, or, you know, if you put, if you, you know, like if you, if you put 22 year old Ricky, of, of that mindset in today with, with all the social media put, but add in, you know, social anxiety disorder. Do you think, you think that would have made it worse or better for you? Well, I mean, this, this, I think this, you bring up an interesting point because if we sit down and think about it, do, do we really want to hear what 22 year olds think about the world? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe because right now, like your name's I, on a field because a lot of kids in their early twenties and late teens, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't our 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 thinking about the world i promise you that if you looked at our personal lives they probably were a mess you know and i, I think i think it's great i think it's great but but the way i look at it talent especially the first half of your life is you can't really take credit for it you can take credit for developing that talent but the true talent in life comes when you when you hit real life and and how do you deal with it how do you how do you deal and overcome adversity i think that's the that's the real challenge of life. And so it's, it's nice to learn to be, to express yourself, but I'm feeling, I didn't know shit until I was late thirties, you know? And so, <laughs> so, and so I, but again, I think we, I think we learn, we learn about ourselves by, by expressing ourselves. But I think if you're in your early twenties, it's, it's helpful to realize you're still learning. It's a, it's a learning process. It's a, about adventure and exploration. It's not about, you know, trying to have everything figured out. I just feel like you get painted in the wrong corner. Like, Hey, he was a, he was a weed smoker and he's, 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 he's involved with cannabis now. And the dude just wants to get high. And it's like, and, but there's also like uh, the NFL gives guys all sorts of pills to try to get through the season. And now there's a movement to, Hey, this is a much healthier way to go about it, to deal with uh, the impact of playing the game. It, it almost feels like, what you were shunned back then would be supported now, at least a lot, a lot more than it was. Right. Of course. Again, it's like, I, I mean, it, I think because people are being more honest, you know, because what I found out when I got in trouble, all, most of the people that were talking shit or saying stuff, they are smoking too. People were just chicken shit. And so <laughs> it, now people are being more honest in, and we're seeing it. And so the, I think that's the major change. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, really, with the NFL in particular. You know, recently, we've seen, you know, I, I talked about in the wake of George Floyd, how the NFL really supported its players and, and, and allowed them to express themselves in different ways. They, they've aligned themselves with some of these movements in ways that even when Colin Kaepernick took a knee five years ago, the NFL was not willing to do. That was a stance they were not willing to take. Um and I also, you know, we, we're talking now, of course, about marijuana use. And, of course, the country's opening up to it legally now. And, and, and things are just a lot different. But, you know, when you see the NFL, and I know you're such a fan of the game still, um, 
do you look at it and say, hey, we've, we've come a long way? Or do you look at it and say, yeah, we, we've, we've come a good ways, but we still have so far to go. And the league, with all the power that it wields nationally, globally, can be such a vehicle for change. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're all growing and we're all evolving always, no matter what. And that includes us as individuals. And it also includes corporations and organizations. And so for me, all you can truly ask is that is for progress. And I think we can say that at least in the past couple of years, there's been progress and hopefully it continues. How have, where are you at Ricky, as far as, Hey, there's part of me that was an incredible football player, 10 plus years in the league, 10,000 yards, all that, you know, incredible college career versus like, that's, that's just, you know, a part of my persona, by the way, that I love, but I also, you know, listening to you talk, it's you're, you seem super excited about the, 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 the growth and where you're going and, and, and the more important things in life. I'm not sure why you're laughing, but I, I like, I'm, I'm laughing because it's, it's funny. I mean, it's a great question. It's funny, but you know, being at the, at the game, it was, it was great and it was wonderful. And it's great to have, you know, my big picture up there and this in the field named after me and right. It, it's still I'm being celebrated for something I did like over 20 years ago, which great, great, great. But you know, I'm excited about what I'm, what I'm doing now based off of all of the things I've learned during those experiences. And I think too much in our culture, we celebrate youth, but I think, again, it's more just like talent. I think we should really more be celebrating people who are doing bigger things later in life where they, where they evolve that talent. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking about celebrating things later in life, I'm, I, I think it's important to go back and look, obviously every experience you have changes who you're going to be and who you are. And it colors the way that you see the world. You go to the Saints in 99, the draft, and the Saints traded their entire draft class to take you. That is an ungodly amount of pressure. I don't care who you are, any player, how you want to handle it. And you end up going, and you, you, spent, you spent three years in New Orleans. You had, a very, you had a very good three years there, even though the team didn't have a ton of success. And I'm curious, like how much did that experience, from, from the way the draft went to your time there, color your pers- – perspective and, and shape who Ricky Williams ended up becoming now you know, 20 years after the fact well it was, it was everything it was a it was a wake-up call you know I think if I had if I had gone to New Orleans and had the kind of success that I that I'd hoped for I don't think I would have grown or evolved in 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 many other ways and you know I, I had a couple of moments in New Orleans where I had to re- I realized that you know maybe there's life outside of football and we all have to come to that realization, but I think sometimes players come to that realization too late. And so I, I think the struggles I had uh, mainly with injuries in, in New Orleans really woke me up to the fact that there are other parts of myself that I needed to develop if I wanted to be happy. You know, you've been, been, yeah, go ahead. Go no, I was just going to say, you know, you've been really open about, you know, social anxiety and, and that being difficult at times. And just to, just to piggyback on that last question, kind of follow up on it. Like I mentioned, you know, Mike Dick and the Saints, they, they, dra- they traded every draft pick they had to acquire you. And that puts a, a big, big, I don't want to say target on your back, but the, the amount of, hey, look, this guy's a savior of a franchise that to that point had never won a playoff game. Like was was really a, a franchise in need of, of help. How, when, when you were drafted, like that day, when they trade their whole class, were you like, this is awesome, they believe in me this much? Or was it more like, Oh my God! They just traded their whole draft class for me. Like this is this is a lot 
I'm just curious your perspective, since literally you're the only person in the world that has that perspective. Yeah, so it was it was neither and both. I think you know, first I was I was pissed off because I, I slipped all the way to to the fifth pick. Um so so it was kind of like it was kind of mixed mixed feelings. And and I think if you talk to any great, great athlete, they'll tell you, you know, we put more pressure on ourselves than anyone could put can put on us from the outside. And, you know, this, the thing about mental health, social anxiety and anxiety in general, you know, it's what, what I've learned is that it's just information, you know, and, and what I learned ultimately was, uh, you know, playing football wasn't where I was supposed to be. And so when I finally figured that out, you know, the social anxiety started to, started to, to disappear. Ricky, what are you most excited that you're involved with today? Because I know, I think you've got an astrology dating website or app. You're, you, I, I believe you're still working with uh, Elevate Dis, uh, Dispensary. Is that accurate? Yeah, and, yeah. We're working and, with Elevate, yeah. And, and we've got uh, the NFT that we're working with today. And, and anything, anything that's, you know, not public on your journey right now, like what, what brings you the most joy today? Yeah, so I do a lot of different things. And what brings me the most joy is, is, my different interests as they converge. Um, and I, but I'd say if I had to pick one thing I was most passionate about, it's, uh, it's, it's the work I'm doing with astrology. And it's, it's not a dating app, it's a relationship app. Okay. Um, because we all have relationships, you know, with our, with our kids, with our friends, with our siblings, and being able to understand ourselves and understand other people better makes those relationships work out better. So uh, helping, helping people get along is, is my passion. Helping people stop judging each other and really seeing who's there is my passion. Yeah, you. What was the story that you had? Uh, either there's an equipment guy or a trainer who only knew you with the dreadlocks, and you showed up without, and he didn't even know who you were. Like you were just this sort of like there was he didn't see you at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think I, a lot of a lot of famous people have that experience you know is that people people get so caught up in in what we've accomplished that they don't they don't see us uh, and so that's something I was very sensitive to in my playing days and so I, it makes sense that you know when I left football one of the things that was most important to me what I was looking for was to truly be seen and uh, the person who saw me most uh, she looked at my astrological chart and so I became intrigued and started studying and it's it's become a know my my life's work what's your sign i'm a gemini gemini and and what does that mean to you <laughs> <laughs> i need to know ricky i'm i'm looking for something over here as a leo yeah so, i too am no. a leo so i have questions well I, I think so it's it's permission okay it's permission right so in an example right sometimes you know you know we're given a hard time when we feel like we need to be the center of attention okay but a Leo truly needs to be the center of attention, right? And so a Gemini, a Gemini, <laughs> need, a Gemini needs new information, okay? They need to learn. They'll get bored if they're doing the same thing over and over again. That's really good information to know about yourself, right? Because then you don't try to fit yourself in a box of people telling you you're supposed to be a certain way. You have more permission to be uh, curious as a Gemini. You know, it, that is... That is very interesting. I, uh, like I said, I, I like Carm also Leo and that definitely fits. Um, you know, you, you ended up walking away from the game after playing a long career and, you know, one year in Baltimore, you, you could, you could have stayed, you had, a, you had a fine season. You could have been on the team. 
um, ended up retiring. And I feel like I, I wasn't going to ask this guy. I feel like I know the answer just based off this conversation, but we're talking about not judging. And so I'm just, I'm curious, like, was it hard for you to walk away or were you just, Hey, I'm, I, you seem like the, the reason I say it is you seem like the kind of guy who just could say, you know, I'm good. I'm done. I'm ready to move on. But you also dedicated a huge part of your life to, to being, I mean, I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a professional athlete, the time it takes, the dedication. Was it easy for you to walk away, Ricky, or was it hard? I think it's only easy for people to walk away when they've given their all, because then you just know, you just know it's time, it's time to do something else. And it was funny. So after that, my, my last year, after my last year in Baltimore, um, I was talking to the coaches after the season and they were going back and reviewing all the film. And, and a couple of them came back to me and they said, as we watched the film on offense, we feel like the biggest mistake we made all year was not getting you more involved in the offense. And so I, you know, I thought, wow, what a, what a great compliment. And that actually got me really excited about coming back for another season and it was, it was early February. Uh, I got a text message from Bill Parcells and I was sharing with him, you know, how excited I was about coming back for another year. And his response kind of shocked, it shocked me a little bit, shocked me into retirement. He said, don't chase this thing too long. You can contribute in other ways. And, and it was shocking that it, that it came from, from Parcells. And so it got me thinking a little bit and I started thinking there are other ways I can contribute. And, and then I thought, but I know the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl this next year, uh, but still, I, I had a vision that there are other things that I wanted to do, and so I, I made the choice and I walked away and jumped right into my to my second life. Well, and you and you were there snapping photographs as a as a member of the media. Congratulations on joining the dark side, by the way, <laughs> at, least, at least in that moment. Um, it's Pars, you, you, your coaches are. I mean, these are the biggest names in in NFL and college football history, Nick Saban, Bill Parcells, Mike Ditka. Uh, who are you, who do you maintain a relationship with today? Um, I, I still stay in touch with Nick. Um, I still stay in touch with Ditka, um, Parcells. These are really like football coaches, you know, like old school football coaches. And what I mean by that is coaches that appreciate uh, football players, you know, football players. And, and fo- by that, I mean, it's an it's a attitude or a mentality. And, and I think that's what I'm most proud of, of my days playing football, not, you know, not the 10,000 yards or, or the all pro year leading the NFL and rushing, but it's that anyone that played against me, anyone that coached me is they'll describe me as a football player. Guys, with, with Parcells, obviously he was never your coach. I mean, he was an executive with Miami. He was up in the box. Um, you know, how did that relationship come about? Because, of course, you're going to have some interaction anytime with, with an exec on a team. But it's not like you're – it's not like, you know, you had a relationship like you did maybe with Nick or with Dave Wanstad or Mike Dick or somebody who's in the locker room with you every day, day in and day out. Actually, like, he, was, he was in the locker room every day. He was in the locker room. <laughs> I guess <laughs> so that's it Bill. It was a funny story. So, in, it was 2009. Um, I was playing playing running back, and, and Ronnie and I were, were splitting time. And, and Ronnie had a – Ronnie Brown had a foot injury – and so I had to take over full time. And that uh, that Monday when I when I got to the locker room, there was um, an old gas can. <laughs> there was an old gas can sitting by my locker, and I walked up and I was like, "What is this?" You know. And a couple of minutes later, Parcells walks by and he's like, "You got any gas left in that tank?" <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so yeah, I'll tell you this. Uh, that's a good question. So when when the Dolphins hired uh, Bill Parcells, this was at the end of uh, Cam Cameron's one disastrous year as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Yeah. And during that season, I had come back from a suspension week 10. Okay, I came back week 10 against the Steelers. And in the second quarter of that game, I tore my pec. And so I was, in, I was on IR. And so I, would, I was pretty much at home. I'd come in and do rehab, but I just was, was chilling. And then this, this is when we, uh, the Dolphins hired Bill Parcells. So Bill Parcells comes in, and, and I get a call and says, you know, come in. There's a meeting today. So he comes in and he, and he walks in and the first thing he does is has this big book, right? And it's the injury log from that season. And he drops it on the table, right? And he says, if your name is in this book, there's a good chance you're not going to be here next year. And like, he just gave us like a hardball talk about you can't play if you're hurt. And he just heard a lot of things and he's going to get rid of all the bad players. Right? So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I just came back from a suspension and I got hurt. So I'm thinking, I wonder where I'm going to be playing next year. <laughs> And so, and so after the meeting, you know, uh, someone says, you know, uh, Bill wants to talk to you, come into his office. And so I'm, I was like, wow, that was quick. You know, so I, I go up there and I sit down and he says, he's like, I heard about you. And everyone I've talked to has had wonderful things to say. So I believe in you and I want you to be a part of this team. I was blown away. Um, but it seems like he really, he really took pride and took responsibility in, in really helping me get my career back on track. And, and he was not only you know, uh, an executive, but he was also a mentor. Uh, and and was, we, we had a really close relationship those years that we were both in Miami. Well, it speaks to your character, Ricky. And it's one of the reasons why we were so excited to talk to you today, because, I mean, you're one of the most talented guys in the history of the league. I don't think anybody would argue that, but it's your journey, I think, is at least for me, is the most interesting part. And the ability to, to take risk in the middle of your career and follow what whatever was inside you, which I think you probably understand better today. Like hopefully we all do as we get older. Um, what do you, and I, I don't think you can even answer this question cause it's moment by moment, but you know, 10 years out from now, like where do you, or five years out, whatever, a year out, where do you, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? Um, you know, how do you want to be given back? Like what's kind of the, 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 the flag that you're planting right now as to where you're headed? Well, just that I'm, that I'm, I think, reaching more people really. I mean, I, I feel really good about my experiences and what I've, and what I've learned. And I feel like I have a message. And so really doing more work to get that message out. Yeah. What I, I think I know we're, you know, we're, we're almost up against it with the half hour. I just wanted to ask, you know, for you, you've done so many things. I mean, really you, you, you go to Texas, you have an, an all time career at, a, at an iconic college institution for football then you go you play for some some phenomenal years in the nfl whether it's in new orleans or obviously miami where you mentioned you led the league in rushing all pro pro bowl the whole deal and then you walked away and you you've done so much since then when when you think about your life to this point and, and like mark just said there's so much to go but when you think about it to where it's at i mean how much do you really even think about football on this point? Do you, do you think a lot about like what you accomplish as a football player? Or is that just like, Hey, look, that's what I did for a living. I loved it, but now I'm on to so many other things. If that's just, that's just a part of my journey. It's not necessarily who I am. Well, good question. So, you know, I had this moment, you know, they say when, when you're dying that your whole life flashes in front of you and I haven't died yet or even had a near death experience. But when I, when I called the NFL to retire 
to make that decision to retire in 2004. I literally saw my whole life flash in front of me and realized that every major event in my life was somehow tied to football, you know? And it was a scary moment to, to, give, that, to give that up. Um, and, and if you think about it, at the end of life, what we remember is not really the details, right? It's really what we take with us is what we've gleaned, what we've learned, what, you know, the essence of all those experiences. And so, you know, like the, the trophies and all the accomplishments, whatever, right? But the, what I learned in the process of, of, of reaching those accomplishments, you know, th- those, are, those are still with me and continue to grow and evolve. And, and, and that's what I love about football. It's, it's such an a intense um, way to grow and to evolve. I mean, at, at the core of it, right, you get smacked in the face and you got like 30, 40 seconds to get back up and, and do it again. Okay, and this is a great metaphor for life because life does smack you. And if you can get up and do it again and be stronger in the fourth quarter, right, you're going to live a good life. You got some great cliches going on there, but it's so true. Not how many times you get knocked down, how quickly you get back up and your attitude coming back to it. Hey, Ricky, so much. uh, We so much appreciate the time today and uh, hope you have huge success with the NFT. Uh, of course, putting it out there and uh, really looking forward to continue just to follow your journey. And you're you're a huge gift to athletes and everybody else out there, Ricky. So thanks. Thanks for being with us. And thanks for everything you're doing. That means a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. Thank you to Ricky Williams. As we move on, it is time for Place Your Bets, my favorite part of the show as we bring in our guy, the managing editor of BetSided. That's right. For all your gambling needs, check out BetSided. And uh, with great help from WinBet, we've got six games on the docket here, Ben Heisler. This is week, uh, we're going into week two, but it, it feels just very fresh and new because it's your first week with us like right now. I just, I, I in, in this, in this, in this moment in time. So I'm very excited to see you, by the way. Great to see you guys get to be on the, uh, and being a part of the stacking the box family. My, my goal is to be able to return for the next episode. So hopefully we get off to a halfway decent start here. Verram, you're allowed to battle with Ben on everything he gets wrong here. And by the way, if you join him and he's wrong, then that makes you oh, wrong too. My That's picks last week were a full-blown atrocity. I didn't even go over the against the spread, but with all the underdogs winning outright, I didn't think I was 500, like picking straight up. So I, I don't have a lot of room to talk here, but I, I got to get, you know what? It's a time-honored tradition. I've been a mess every week. One, every week one, I'm terrible. And then I get hot. So I feel, I feel like I've gotten out of the way. All right, I, I, I want you to get hot, and I just feel like you are the public. I'm not exactly sure. I have to, I have to dive in and see if Ben's not the public. But in my, in my pool that I'm doing, just for the record, and I've got my guy Dan Hampton, Hall of Famer, he's making the picks last week, and I look at him, and I, and I, and I told Ben, I'm like, this dude is straight wrong, and he was a disaster. The only, we, went, we went one and four. The only win that we had in the five games was the, was the Bears uh, losing by – 20, which was uh, I actually was skeptical on that because I thought the public was on the Rams. Weren't the public on the Rams last week? So I thought the Bears would cover. 
Uh, but Matt Nagy and company helped that. All right, forget about all that. Ben, let's get into this. Game one, Buffalo, a three-point favorite at Miami. Do the Bills rebound and get their season going after an incredibly disappointing week one with Pittsburgh? I, I think they do, Carm. You're right. The, the Bills were a fairly popular pick by the public last week. They were about 75% of the money that was collected against the spread over at WinBet. Um, and they let betters down, especially considering the fact that they lost outright to Pittsburgh. Um, I, I want to give Miami a little bit of credit because going to New England on the road in the month of September historically under Bill Belichick has not been uh, an easy task to be able to get done. And, you know, the other point to that is, is that they beat a rookie quarterback and Damian Harris had that costly red zone fumble. So there's a good chance that New England probably wins at home, if not for that major play down the stretch. But I do think it's an opportunity for Buffalo to bounce back. Uh, I think it's a really good opportunity to go ahead and fade the public here, considering they're going to see the win against New England for Miami. They're going to jump on board, considering that they're 1-0 playing their home opener. Remember, the Bills are a very big team that WinBet has as far as their odds go. They're the third favorite to win the Super Bowl. They're the clear favorites at minus one in the division I think if all weeks this is a good chance for Buffalo to turn themselves around get a win on the road against Miami I I tend to agree like I actually went back with when I saw the line initially come out I was kind of surprised that the Bills were that big of a favorite on the road against Miami I mean three points isn't huge but I thought it might be closer to maybe one or one and a half um, but I I agree though look if you watch that Miami New England game and you mentioned it Ben like New England should have won that game Right. New England should have won the game and gave it away at the end. Tua was not spectacular. It wasn't terrible, but it was just kind of a guy. And so I think it, you know Josh Allen did not play well against Pittsburgh. That's a really good defense. Miami does have a good defense, but not quite the level of Pittsburgh. Like I, I think the Bills, desperate here. You don't want to go 0-2, especially losing in the division. I tend to agree. I, I think they win a game that's pretty close. I think it's within a touchdown, but I think they win. For the record, I'm for panic in the streets. Buffalo loses. They're going to have a real, real tough time uh, in Orchard Park if that goes down. So let's go Dolphins. San Francisco, three-and-a-half-point favorite at Philly. The Niners, it, it got interesting, but that's getting a little bit too much play for me. They kicked Detroit's ass. Detroit made it uh, like minorly whatever entertaining, but come on. I thought San Francisco was super impressive. You think they go back-to-back, Ben? Uh, yeah, I, I think the, the 49ers are going to be fine. Remember, they did not cover the spread in that game against the Lions last week. We saw that total move, or excuse me, we saw the spread move for the 49ers all the way up to, to minus eight and a half. Uh, and they only ended up winning that game by eight. So a, a tough beat for anybody uh, that backed the Niners towards the end of the week. Remember, you want to try and get in a lot on a lot of these spreads over at WinBet in the beginning of the week. As far as the matchup against Philadelphia goes, uh, the Eagles were really impressive. And I've been on Jalen Hurts for a long time uh, as somebody that I think is in a really good position to be successful. Um, but let's not get carried away. The Falcons are a rebuilding team. Um, they looked absolutely atrocious. And I thought what was very good from, from Hurts' perspective is that he was distributing the ball to a wide variety of receivers. Devontae Smith was able to get involved. You had Jalen Rager be able to get involved as well, Dallas Goddard. Um, and he only had to run the ball seven times and when he did he ended up running for 62 yards so I, I think because of the fact that betters are going to be down on the 49ers after last week letting Detroit hang around they're still the far superior team to the Eagles they were projected last by win bet to win the NFC East this year that's now changed it's now the New York Giants that are projected to be last so I, I'm going to fade the public here I think the 49ers bounce back even on the road it's the second straight time they're going to an East Coast time zone uh, but I think they'll ultimately be fine I think they'll put the Eagles away I, I like San Francisco minus three and a half okay 
I wouldn't touch this game if I was a betting man because you get the one thing that, that comes into play here. Philadelphia is going to be going nuts, like the fans. Right? They're going to be really into the game. San Francisco's got to go all the way across the country. The Niners are better. The Niners should win the game. And if, and if you said to me, look, you have to place money, I would place on the Niners. I just think they 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 are significantly better. Now, what what is this line if the Niners just won that game in Detroit 41-17? Right? What's the line then? It's probably higher. Maybe like four, four and a yeah, half. Right, it right. wouldn't be that substantial. Right. You're probably getting an, an extra point. So yes. I, I think that changes a little. I also, man, like, I don't know what to make of Philly. The Falcons suck. Like, I, I, I mean – 32 to six at home. Really? You couldn't even score a touchdown. Like, I, I don't know what to make of the, of the, of the Eagles. Cause I don't know. I, I don't know what it means to, to hammer the Falcons. Like the Falcons are 13 point dogs in Tampa. They're terrible. So I, I would agree with like, I, I like the Niners to win. I think it's a close game. I could see the Eagles backdoor covering the thing. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll take the Niners as well. I think they win the game. Charm play of the week is our third game. Carolina ride the fighting Sam Darnold's. Damn it, he's out in New York, and he's looking a whole lot better. Uh, there are three-and-a-half-point underdog at home to the Saints who might be getting a little bit too much love for what they did to the Packers, Ben. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Carm. Finally starting to uh, get that betting lingo. Uh, he who uh, – who I'm trying to remember the line that you gave uh, in that great – bet-sided video. He who gambles lives in shambles. Not the case for you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you're you're actually spot on here. Jameis Winston looked awesome against Green Bay, and I still feel like that game was a bit of an anomaly considering how bad Rodgers was. He threw his first um, red zone interception for the first time since like week six of 2019. So you know the public's going to be all over New Orleans. Um, the, the Panthers, I think, let some betters down a little bit. That game was probably closer than most expected against the Jets. Uh, but Jameis Winston, this is something to consider, has not had a lot of success against Carolina over the course of his career. Now you might say, well, you know, it's different teams, but he's played in this division for a long time. And the most amount of interceptions he's had over the course of his career in 10 games, 14 picks, Jameis Winston has come against Carolina. Most of those have come in Charlotte. So for whatever reason, uh, it's just not a good fit, not good juju coming into that matchup. Uh, I like Carolina to play better, to be a little bit more consistent on the offensive side of the ball against the Saints. Uh, and they're going to be riding high after that big win against the Packers. I think this is a good fade the public opportunity to go ahead and take Carolina. Well, I, I know it makes for a boring podcast to agree all the time, but I actually do think like David Amyamata is a good, good defensive tackle. He's suspended for the Saints for the first six games of the year. And then you have Marshawn Lattimore, who is by far their best corner, got a $100 million contract on Sunday, but he's out with thumb surgery. He's week to week. That hurts. Carolina can throw the ball. If you look at their their guys on the outside, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, that's a good tandem. Christian McCaffrey, I thought was excellent against the Jets. Played very, very well. Now, I get it. It's the Jets. Okay. They're the Vanderbilt of the NFL. That being said, I watched that game and I thought Donald actually played pretty well. He wasn't great, but he was economical. Um, I think they're going to win. Like, I think the flyouts is going to win the game. I, I, I don't, the Saints game was weird in the sense that Winston, other than one deep ball, really did nothing the entire game. I mean, it was just a lot of real estate throws, which, by the way, is probably how they need to play to win with him. Because right. if you start to ask him to do a lot, then it turns into bad Jameis and for a pick Jameis. But I think if you're Carolina, like, they, they got tons of pressure on, on Wilson throughout the game last week. The Saints have a much better line. So that's a question to me. Can Carolina get home? I'm going to take them, though, in this game. I think they win, and I definitely think they'll cover. We move on 
and I'm getting a little, by the way, fading, fading, Fading stacking the box might be a good play too. So you guys agreeing actually could be great strategy. Could be terrible for us. Could be like yeah. a new Twitter account that just shows yeah. up, and just trolls us week to week at fade stack the stacking the box. I mean, I, just, there's a lot of ways. To, I mean, I'm with you guys, but you know, then again, this is the wild world of gambling. We never know what's going on. Managing editor Ben Heisler, bet side of damn it, giving us the Dallas game and the Chargers. Cowboys shoulda, coulda, woulda. Impressive performance. Dak looks fantastic. Uh, the Chargers get by Washington on the road. They're a three-point favorite at home. This feels like a game I wouldn't play, but Ben, you play them all, so go ahead. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to how I want to play this game, I'm probably staying away from the spread and I'm focusing on the total and style. I'll get to that in a second because normally the Cowboys, that's the team that usually public betters are on more than anybody. But in week one, it was the complete opposite. You saw this line move from uh, Cowboys plus six and a half. It got as high as Cowboys plus nine on the Thursday night game over at WinBet. Uh, Might have moved back just a half point or two uh, over at, at win before the game closed. And, and Dallas ended up uh, coming through for you know the few people that ended up supporting them. And you're right, Prescott looked incredible. They did nothing as far as running the ball. In fact, there was a, a great anecdote that came out. Uh, the Dak ended up checking out of 12 different running plays uh, because they just couldn't run the ball effectively at all against Tampa Bay. It should be a little bit easier, but the Chargers defense, you guys, is, is going to be good. Brandon Staley was the number one defensive coordinator for the Rams a season ago. Um, it, that defense is going to turn around, especially because their, their front four is very good. Uh, they're going to be able to generate a little bit more pressure on the Cowboys, especially Lyle Collins is going to be out for, for the next five games after violating the NFL substance abuse policy. Um, I, I'm probably not playing this game against the spread, but the total of 55 feels too high. I, I know that people have Dak throwing all over Tampa Bay fresh in their mind, um, but you know they're a little bit more methodical, uh, the Chargers are, and especially with their improvement coming on defense. They only gave up 16 points for, for Washington on the road. I like the under 55 in this game between Dallas and the Chargers. just feels like it's too many points on the board for me. So I, I have no idea what the hell to do with this game. Because these two teams in recent history are two teams that I, I think you have you have issues if you're gambling on, right? It's just the Chargers do no things, lead is safe. Like the Chargers are just out of their minds. Nothing ever goes the way it should, right? Like even this game week one. Now they won the game, give them credit. Usually they blow those games. But like, I don't know what the hell happens in that game if Ryan Fitzpatrick's in there the whole game. Then Taylor Henneke gets involved. He's terrible, right? It's about Herbert was awful on first and second down the entire game but he's god on third down like i don't know if that's sustainable i don't know what that's all about it's you know and then you look at dallas i don't think dallas can stop a nosebleed like i don't think dallas can stop anybody but on the flip side even without cons and gallops also hurt by the way he's out for a ba- basically a month like i don't know how much it affects them they have cooper they have lamb of course they have zeke if pressed on the line i would take the points. so i would just take dallas because I'll take I'll take the three points, but I think this game literally is going to come down to the last five minutes. Who has the ball and who makes just a backbreaking mistake? I I have no idea who it's going to be. I'll take the points. All right, we move into Verderam Land, which is uh, of course his Chiefs. Which man was it fun when Cleveland was up out in front here, and I was looking for drama in Week One, but the Chiefs survived 33-29 over the Browns. They move on. For another tough, tough uh, battle, this one on the road, nonetheless, going to Baltimore, who somehow, some way, blew Monday night. 
which was just atrocious, which we talked about earlier in the podcast. Uh, ben, you you riding you riding the fighting Mahomeses with a three and a half point spread on the road. All right, so so let me ask you this, Carm and, and Verdam. I'll throw you in this here as well. Is it is it really a tough battle, Kansas City going on the road at Baltimore? You would think on the surface it is, but but let's go beyond that for just a second. Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson in his career is three and zero in the month of September. Patrick Mahomes is 11 and 0, 35 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's been incredible. And every time these two teams have matched up, it's always been that statement game that the Ravens have had circled on the calendar. And, and each year they fail to come up because the Chiefs get off to such a massive lead in those games. And then Baltimore maybe makes it close in the second half, but usually these games are just not competitive. So the fact that Kansas City is getting three and a half, I feel like if you're on the Chiefs side, you should jump on Kansas City now because this line is going to move. I wouldn't be surprised if we see this game close at Kansas City minus four, Kansas City minus four and a half over at WinBet, uh, just because of, of how the Chiefs have dominated Baltimore in the past. And also fresh in the public's mind is watching Lamar Jackson fumble twice against the Raiders, blowing that game away on Monday Night Football. Uh, there's just not a lot of confidence right now on a week-to-week level with Baltimore. Now, I, I think if that line moves all the way up to four and a half, I'm taking Baltimore side because I think this time it will actually be close. Um, but I, I still prefer Kansas City at that line. And if anything, this is another game, guys, that I'm playing on the total. I, I love the over in this game, considering how much Baltimore is going to want to blitz. Mahomes is going to throw all over them. It could be a big week for Tyree Kill, massive week for Travis Kelsey. And, you know, as far as Baltimore's running game is concerned, they're going to run all over Kansas City, too. Both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt average five and a half yards per carry. Uh, they got three touchdowns on the ground against Kansas City last week. So, Plenty of offense in this game. I really like the over 55 if I had to make a single play on this game. Carm, I saw you put your hand if you have thoughts. No, I was just going to say guilty as charged. I overrate the Ravens against the Chiefs. Okay. I think Ben's making a very fair point, and I would like so to. Uh, last, last week, I yeah. picked the Chiefs to win on this podcast, but I did not pick them to cover. I picked Cleveland to cover. I was right on both counts. <laughs> I, okay. That's, Barely. Congratulations. Right Way to go, Verderam. Um, hey, you got to you got to tout your wins when you were a, a train wreck last good, week. Good. Um, I think I think Kansas City is going to pummel Baltimore in this game. I, I do not think, and here's the reasons why: it is a terrible schematic matchup for, for Baltimore. It is every time they play him. Ben alluded to it, so I won't go. I mean, three and zero. Oh, the last two times the Chiefs have played, and Mahomes has gone out of his mind. He's over a million yards in these games. Because Baltimore blitzes more than any team in the NFL the last couple of years. They blitz like crazy. Losing – everybody's talking about losing J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And, look, that hurts. They're always going to run the ball with their scheme. Always. Losing Marcus Peters is crushing. They rely on one-to-on-one coverage in the back end more than any team in football, and now they don't have it. And Kansas City is going to match Kelsey up on those linebackers and safeties. They're going to get Hill away from Humphrey as much as they can. And they're going to go nuts. They are going to challenge them down the field. I think for Baltimore, the only way to beat them in this game is to force turnovers. Because if they don't do that and they keep blitzing, and there's no reason to think they won't because Martindale blitzes every single, every single game, every single week. I think Mahomes is just going to have an enormous game. It is a it is a terrible matchup for the Ravens. The way they play, the way their current personnel is. By the way, another thing that would concern me, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthews should be back this week for the Chiefs. The Ravens are banged up up front. Ronnie Stanley did not look like Ronnie Stanley in week one. He was getting beat over and over off the edge. They lose Tyree Phillips, their left guard, who, who had to be carted off the knee injury. Alejandro Villanueva looked terrible. 
if they can't block, it's good night. Because I think I think the Ravens, the problem is they run so well, but they have to throw to beat Kansas City. Right. They get behind, and then it becomes, well, we can't just run the ball constantly. We've got to throw it, and they're not equipped to do it. They're, they never have been. I, I don't believe they are now. I think Kansas City wins this game by double digits. Lamar was looking nice last night, Monday Night Football, running it until – it, it didn't like, look very but was nice. Was he really though? Like he made two really good throws in the game: the touchdown that, throw to Brown and the deep ball to Watkins. The man played five quarters and threw for two hundred and thirty-five yards. I wasn't even talking like, about anything he was throwing. I just like when he's when he oh, takes off. He's insane. It, it's just but, so much fun. That's all I'm just, saying. I think if they get if they get behind in this game by you know ten points, it becomes a scenario where the Chiefs say, "Go ahead, we don't care if you run the ball. We don't care." Like, you're going to have to throw the ball. And every time the Chiefs play him, they pack the middle of the field defensively. They force Lamar to throw outside the numbers on out routes and corner routes. And they basically say, go ahead, do it, beat us. And they never have. They've never, they haven't even really come close. So I, I think you have to take Kansas City in this game. Final game. Let's wrap it up here, team. The Saints beat the Green Bay Packers 38-3. to uh, you could not have a team with more off-season drama than Green Bay had, I guess, well, minus the Houston Texans, which is a whole other uh, – Different kind of drama. Different kind of drama, exactly. Well said. But, uh, look, talk about respect for a Hall of Famer to be, and I know they're playing the Lions, and I know they're at home. But when you lose 38-3 to and you're still a 10-and-a-half-point favorite, that is some serious, serious Aaron Rodgers love. Ben, you riding the Packers at home? Hard not to, considering that they're going to need, even after, you know, one week, because of the nature of the NFL and NFL coverage, this is still sort of, in a sense, a a statement opportunity for Aaron Rodgers. And I I love the conspiracy that's floating around that the only reason that Aaron Rodgers came back was to stick it to his team before he moves on and leaves them, you know, sort of foot in the bill for everything that happened. But they should crush the Lions. And again, it was week one. We saw nine teams win uh, that were underdogs win straight up in week one. It was just a weird week. Uh, But the Packers will get off to a big lead in this game, and maybe they let Detroit hang around and eventually trying to work their way out. Maybe they get back to recover uh, if this line goes to 10 and a half, but it, it's going to move. It, it's already started to move. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if you see this move to maybe even 11 and 11 and a half. Yeah. So I'm taking Aaron Rodgers here. I, I feel like this is the clear play to go ahead and back the better team, the clear favorite in the division against perhaps the worst team in the NFC. This is clearly a play for me that I'm taking Green Bay and I really don't care how many points they have on top of them. I, I completely agree. You could, to me, the line couldn't be high enough, and I'd still bet the Packers. This is the classic game. A really good team got humiliated. Now they come home. They're playing a really bad team. They get them at home on Monday night football. Like that is, if there's ever a spot to just go, yeah, they're going to win this game 35 10, like this is, this is the spot. And by the way, if we're wrong on this and the Packers lose this game or even come close to losing this game, it's a five alarm fire. Like this, yeah. this is the kind of game they call, you know, the old get right game, right? Like th- it's not even that the Packers lost week one. It's how they lost. If they don't come out and play a hell of a lot better, I, I would, I would be shocked. Absolutely shocked. Like, th- this is your survivor pick for, for yes. week two, right? 100%. Like you take Green Bay at home against the Lions. I don't care how many you know kneecaps Dan Campbell seems going to try and bite off along right. the way. Like this is the game you go ahead and back Green Bay in your survivor league and you just feel fine about it. 
I'm just going to tell you right now, do not listen to what these two just said. The Detroit Lions are coming in. The Fighting Campbells on Monday night. I'm not saying they're going to win the game, but I will take them to cover. It is going to be the Jared Goff show to the moon. I'm going to text you when it's 23 at halftime. You t- you do that. I'm just I, I will hold, hold that text till the end of the game, man. It's still the <laughs> NFL. Carm's right. They could cover, and it'll be in a very painful way. But Green Bay's winning this game. Okay. Yes. Well, all right. I I am highly interested in in how this one goes down because I I do think forget about the last dance in Green Bay. It's it's called the I'm out of here. See you later. You should have taken care of me. And I'm going to, I buy, I buy into the, you are disengaged. You are still on a beach. You are still taking Instagram photos somewhere. You got a weird thing going on right now, 12. And I, and, and maybe he'll get, I think he'll be okay because the NFC North is so bad, but, and they'll somehow probably there. I got, they got to be the best of the worst, but I'll take the Lions to at least cover here. Hey, Ben, we're looking forward to having you on every week. You're awesome. Managing editor, bet sided doing phenomenal work over there. WinBet is doing uh, – that's where you should be going for all your betting odds, W-I-N-N-Bet. Ben, good to see you, brother. Good to see you guys. We'll come back and wrap it up with Vertoram's amazing endings, which you never want to miss. That's next, Deck in the Box. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Wrapping it up here, Stag in the Box. Heisler's not pay- playing around here, Vertoram. Dude's bringing it. It was great. I'm looking forward to having him on every week. A great addition to the bedside team. We used to do a pregame show uh, in the old office, and Ben would come on, and we would talk. We'd talk gambling and fantasy and whatnot, and he was always awesome. So now, part of the fan side of family, running uh, bedside, it's been great working with him. And and obviously, I think we can all say from that last segment, it's going to be a great addition to the team uh, here on the podcast. Speaking of uh, the family, this is uh, a stretch, but. Um... Your baseball cards are almost a part of your family. That's what you want to talk about here in your what's going on, Vertoram Love. I, I, feel think, like- I think they might actually tear apart the family. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I, didn't, I don't have anything crazy to talk about this week or anything really interesting. I was going to talk about the fact that my, my uh, beautiful wife is dealing with a bronchitis, and I, I basically I've, I've like hermetically sealed her in the guest room. Um, I feel for her. She starts – so she worked for almost – get this right – for six years – um, while obviously also working and being a mom and, and, and dealing with me, she got her doctorate and she started a new job yesterday on Monday and had to take Tuesday off because they were like, you, you cannot come in here like that. She had to get COVID tested. She's, she's not of COVID. Um, but she is fighting through bronchitis, which is to her credit, taking it like, you know, like a champ. She's been, she's been doing well, but in any event, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've been thinking, you know, what, what's really going on in my life other than football? And one of the things that's been going on, kind of just like on the back burner simmering, I think some people know this about me, but I, I love vintage baseball cards. I'm a huge, huge collector. I've got cards ranging from 1911 to today. Um, but anything, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, I've got binders and binders of them. And so a buddy of mine back home 
you know, he went the uh, he, he decided he's never been a vintage guy, collects the, the current, but he he got a Mickey Mantle card when we were out at uh, at the show in Rosemont at the collector's convention and completely nerded out. And so now he was he loves the 63 cards to get the mantle. He's like, well, you know, I'm gonna try to put the whole set together. And I said, you know, it's funny. I've never done that with vintage sets. I've done it with current ones. I said, you know what? I've been thinking about doing it. The hell with it. it. Gives me the motivation. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try to get the 1965 set. Right. So, always loved the set. Every card's got a little like pennant on it. It's cool looking set. Anyway, 597 of these bad boys. I'm closing in on having 400 of them. I got all the Hall of Famers at this point that aren't rookies, save for like Eddie Matthews. So it's a process, Carm. And uh, I, I think I think Steph might kill me as I start spending like $150 on a Steve Carlton rookie. But, um, you know, screw it. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm committed. <laughs> I might need to be committed as well. But uh, I'm committed. I'm all in. It's been fun. I love chasing down these cards. Um but man, I gotta tell you, it's, it's a little more expensive than I thought it'd be at the beginning. I thought it started from a good place because I already had the Aaron and the Maze and the Mantle and the Colfax. And uh, no, as it turns out, like still expensive. So it's it's uh, quite quite the journey. I'm proud of you, brother. You're sticking in there. You're following a passion. Maybe it'll pay off for you dollars wise down the line, and maybe it won't. But you had fun along the way, and that's, that's right. all that matters, Verderam. Uh, for me, you know, I I was doing the math. This is my seventh year of uh, doing a Bears postgame uh, on WGN Radio in Chicago with the Hall of Famer Dan Hampton and uh, the world champion 1963 Ed Obradovich, who's in his 80s. Okay, and I've seen Ed Obradovich, who used to literally tear people's heads off. I've seen this guy very angry over the years, Vernon Ram. I figured you'd like this story. So it's Sunday night. He gets on the radio and does his standard uh, pregame. Just go after them and just kick their ass. That's I just meet the challenge. I mean, that's basically the standard OB analysis, which is brilliant. Um, and the game starts. He's all excited. And the Rams throw the 67-yard touchdown bomb to Van Jefferson. Yes. Who, the bear, who slides and catches it at about the 10, but the Bears don't touch him. Eddie yeah. Jackson and Tayshawn Gibson just stare at him. Guy gets up, walks into the end zone. So this 82-year-old dude with his cane and everything else that he's got going on physically, he gets out of his chair and he looks like he's literally going to leap through the television and, 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 and attack the Bears. And he throws his cane <laughs> against the wall. And I'm like, I'm sitting there just like, a, didn't you know this was coming? This team is terrible. And and B, you're an amazing person that just cares that much about the jersey that you used to wear 50 years ago, and you still care. Uh, but I was, it was, I was, I I did my best to not laugh because it, it, he was in such a serious moment. Could've killed you. Could have killed me at, at 80 plus. Uh, but it's been a rough start for the Chicago Bears in 2021, and I don't think it's going to get better as we covered Murderam. They are. They are not good. You know what? I I, uh, I hate to say this. I agree with you, Carm. They uh they they suck. <laughs> and but you know Obradovich, I have nothing to add other than the fact that he was a hell of a player. He was an underrated player. You know, not not a Hall of Fame type guy, anything like that. But a guy who was hell of a heck of a defensive end. And by the way, like. I, I, I can see where that analysis comes from. Like you go back and look at that 63 team and like through the 60s, 
after 63, they didn't have a ton of success. But that team, you know, Buffon and Butkus and, of course, Hallis on the sideline. I mean, they kind of epitomized that, you know, we may not win this game, but you're going to feel it, like, as you're winning this game. <laughs> kind of what they were about in the 60s. Um, yep. So, kudos to <laughs> kudos to Brad. It's 82 years old and still just that involved, that invested, still working. Good for him. There was one story we can wrap up with this, but the, they played the Packers one week, and – think his name I should have the name right but I want to one of their defensive lands who was or uh, offensive lineman I think actually uh, who had a good sense of humor they lose to the Packers like 51 to nothing and they're going in the locker room when Obradovich was playing when Obradovich was playing okay, they get yeah, yeah, killed yeah, gotcha. they, they go in the locker room and I think uh, Fred, uh, Fat Fred, Fred Williams, I want to say his name was. They called him Fat Fred. He he he, get, he walks into the locker room and he starts yelling, "Shut the door! They're coming in after us!" <laughs> after <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, they, so even those guys, they had a sense of humor at the time after getting their just their bells rung and, and just annihilated by the Packers one week. They're coming that, in after us. <laughs> that era, first of all, is why I love football because I grew up watching all the old NFL film stuff. And that era was just a different um, – the 50s and 60s in the NFL. You go back and watch some of those hits, some of the clips. Like, out of bounds was a suggestion. The guys be a couple steps out. What the hell is popping? You know, it didn't really matter. You know, you could, I mean, there were guys in the 60s, people forget this, that were still playing without a face mask. I mean, right. Tommy McDonald didn't have a face mask. He was a Hall of Fame uh, flanker at the time, receiver. He didn't have a face mask, and he played almost into the 70s. Like, it was just a completely – hey, can't get, can't get tackled by the face mask. You don't have one. Um, different era. Different yep. Era. And actually, arguably, not, not, not the way they allowed them to play, but I do think if you played now without a helmet, it probably would make the game safer. Um, that's a, that's a story for another podcast. Verram, go enjoy yourself some week two, my brother. Will do. Thank you, Carm. You as well. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.